appreciate being in the Lord's house again this morning. Appreciate the great crowd we have and everybody uh, making an effort to be here and having all these children here this morning. That's just uh, that's just a great blessing to have that many kids here, and uh, we just look forward to having a great day in the Lord. And it's a beautiful day outside, and it's it's beautiful in here, and uh, it's a beautiful spot in my soul where Jesus saved me. And uh, there'll be opportunity this morning for uh, people to accept that. There's people that really need that this morning. I pray that uh, the church will move and the Lord will pass by and uh, that opportunity will be here for some people this morning. So, um, we just appreciate being here. And uh, I got one quick announcement. Uh, we moved some Sunday school rooms around yesterday. So uh, the high school age kids, they'll be right out here in this first Sunday school room. And then uh, you kids that go to Brittany's class, you'll be back in the next hallway. Um, we move them rooms around, so be mindful of that. And, uh, I ask Brother Lowell Thomas to dismiss us to Sunday school. Good morning. Appreciate everybody for being here. We'll let them get the doors closed back there. And we're going to be in the, the eighth chapter of John this morning. And so I've got a question for you uh, before we start this lesson. And then we'll get to this question. We'll kind of let it marinate a little bit. Uh, when is belief not enough? Think about that. When is belief not enough? So uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so we're in the eighth chapter of John, and our lesson starts down in uh, the eighth chapter in the 31st verse. Um, but I want to kind of give you just a little bit of backstory so you know where we're at and what's just recently been going on and uh, some good things here. So in the 8th chapter of John, uh, it says uh, in verse 1, it says Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. Alright, so 
from a historical standpoint, if you remember back just a few weeks ago, right before Easter, I taught a couple of lessons in there, and we touched a little bit on Jesus uh, coming back uh, to Bethany or into the neighborhood of Jerusalem there, and pretty quickly uh, he went to the temple, and that's this is some of that same time frame. We were in Matthew then. This is John, and John... Uh, you know, his writing, they, they go pretty parallel with Matthew. I mean, they explain the same time. If you look forward just a couple of chapters into John 11, you'll see where Christ, John's uh, explanation of when Christ raised Lazarus, which is about eight days before Easter, okay, give or take. Now, that, that, that may not be right to the day, but it's approximately eight days before Easter. I don't know if I mentioned it then, but it's kind of interesting to me. I'll, I'll mention it now. There is actually a church uh, in Europe that celebrates Lazarus Saturday, which I, I found to be interesting. And it is the Saturday before Palm Sunday. So it would be eight days before Easter. Now, they don't claim that that's the exact right to the number of days that Lazarus got up, but they have a celebration. And, it, and it's certainly within that time frame. I mean, it was, it's probably within 10 days anyway. So in, in John's writing, John writes a lot of uh, the story of Christ, and he writes several chapters that are right there in that couple of weeks that took place from the time that Jesus came back to that area in Jerusalem and Bethany and the Mount of Olives are all right there. You can look at a map sometime and you can see them. They're all really close. So that's where we're at here. Jesus is at the temple and he's uh, teaching. And we'll get on down into, into our lesson here in a minute. Uh, but that gives you some idea. So he's probably less than 10 days from going to the cross. All right. It's actually probably, I'm, I'm guessing it's about a week. But it's, it's less than 10 days. Um, there's, a, there's another story that takes place here, and I want to just touch on it for a minute. It's, it's not part of our lesson, but it takes place, and this is the only one of the Gospels that gives uh, this account. Uh, but uh, as Jesus is teaching in the temple uh, in verse 3 in chapter 8, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And they did this tempting him. And then verse 7, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, Well, let me go back. I want to read the, the rest of verse 6 here. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as he as let me see wrote on the ground as though he heard them not so they bring this woman to him and said Moses says we should stone her what do you think we, they're trying to set a trap for him okay now i want to give some credit here i heard Trey preach on this just a couple of months ago i was watching he preached this a little bit of this on live stream we've heard this this story i mean we've heard people preach this and teach it and all my life and i've heard some some good thoughts all my life people have talked about what did he write because 
John doesn't tell us what he wrote. But I've got an idea, and it's based a little bit out of what I heard Trey preach. But if you go back, and I've got this, this scripture here, if I can find it. Give me just a minute. If you go back to Leviticus, the 20th chapter, and the 10th verse, it is the law that Moses had given to the children of Israel that the scribes and the Pharisees are referring to here. And here's what it says. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now do you see the mistake that the scribes and the Pharisees made here? There should have been two people brought to wherever the judgment was going to take place, and if they were going to stone them, there needed to be two. They only brought one. And they say, she was caught in the very act. So if she's caught in the very act of adultery, where's the man? I think that when Christ knelt down, I think he wrote in the sand Leviticus 20 and verse 10. I think he said, and the adulterer and the adulteress shall be stoned. He just convicted every one of the accusers of not following the law of Moses that they just came and asked him to enforce. And then he looked up at them and said, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. He just convicted every one of them. So I think, and it was just kind of interesting to me that this was just right here before our lesson. But now, and you may have a different thought on it, and there's, I've heard a lot of other good thoughts and, and different, you know, so it could have been something else, but it seems to make pretty good sense that it was either that exact scripture or something very close to it. And then he looks up. So they were always trying to trap him and catch him, but he was always a step ahead. So does anybody have any comments on that before we move in? into our, our actual lesson. I, I just, that was right here, and I thought, boy, that's so good. I can't pass that up. I gotta, gotta go grab that before we get there. Okay. Any comments? All right, so this ends, and as you probably know, I won't read all of it, but the scribes and the Pharisees, they all get up and leave. And, and the woman is left there. Her accusers are all gone, and Christ tells her to go and sin no more. And she leaves. So he's now back to talking to this crowd that had gathered in the temple to hear him teach, all right? And that's, we, we now pick up our lesson in verse 31. Now keep in mind my question to you, when is belief not enough? All right, it's not a trick question. It's, it, it, and it kind of leads, so you'll see where we're at here in this lesson. Verse 31, then said Jesus, to those Jews which believed on him. So there's a group of Jews that were in the temple the day before, and they've now come back, and maybe even more, and they're sitting there, they see this exchange that he has with the scribes and the Pharisees and this woman that had been caught in adultery, and they stay, and they're listening, and he's talking to them. And right above this it says, a bunch of the Jews believed. Man, that's great. 
Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Hold on a minute. What's John 3.16 say? Does it say anything about whosoever believes and continues in God's word? It just says, Whosoever believeth shall have everlasting life. Right? So, why is this belief not enough? So, let's stop here and let's examine belief. Are there ways that we can believe erroneously? Now, Obviously, and, and I'm going to make this just a little side point here, believing in something with all your heart is not enough. I heard Billy Graham, an old sermon that Billy Graham did, and he told this. I may have shared this in Sunday school before, I don't know. Billy Graham, in one of his sermons I was listening to, he said he was watching an NFL football game. And... There was a big collision, and the ball popped out, and a bunch of people were jumping on it, and the ball squirting all around. We've all seen that at a ball game before. And one of the big offensive linemen that never gets to handle the ball picked the ball up and took off and ran 50 yards. And the people were screaming and hollering, and he ran into the end zone and spiked the football, believing he had scored a touchdown with all of his heart. What he had done was run the ball into the wrong end zone. So he believed and put all of his effort into running the wrong direction. So one place that belief is not enough is if we don't believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay? There's one way. And no matter how much you believe the wrong thing, it's still not a touchdown for your team. All right? So that's one place that belief is erroneous. All right? Are there any other places where belief isn't enough? Seems contrary to John 3.16, but it's not. We're going to get there. It all lines up. But is there someplace else where belief isn't enough? Belief in Jesus Christ, is that always enough? I've got three examples that I want to share with you about places, and there may be more, but there's three that I came up with in studying this where belief isn't enough. When our daughter Elizabeth was, I think she was four, maybe five, Becky probably she went to the Christian school and they talked about God in their classrooms every day and one day she came home and she said I'm going to get it was a Wednesday she said I'm going to get saved tonight well, first that we had heard her show any uh, interest in being saved and we came to church prayer service that night and she came forward at the end and she prayed well, how do you feel well I feel fine believe in Jesus? Yep, I believe in Jesus. Was that experience enough to get her to heaven? 
Well, it wasn't. Well, why not? She believed. Her belief was too early. That's one place where belief... Now, did it harm her? No, it didn't harm her. And Dad talked to her. He didn't ask her if she wanted to join the church. There was no witness there. She was still of a pure heart. She had never come to the point, I won't say age, but you know what I mean. She had never come to the point of actually being under conviction. She had heard about Jesus and heard people saying that you should get saved. She thought, well, that's something I want to do. So she came forward and meant well, but it was too early. So in Romans, Paul writes, I was alive without the law once, but the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. The commandment had never come to her. It was too early. Now, did that hurt anything? No, it didn't hurt anything for her. Now, I think there are some instances where people come before the commandment ever really convicts them and have, have an experience. It's not a spiritual experience, but they put their trust in that, and then when real conviction comes along later, they won't really have anything to do with it. Now, that's scary. That can hurt you there. But you can believe too early... And that doesn't lead to salvation that is, will take you to heaven. Okay. Now, Elizabeth came under conviction again later, and she came and knelt and prayed, actually out in the portico after church camp, and she got saved. All right? So that's belief, but you can believe too early. All right? In uh, Matthew 22nd chapter, We'll, we'll look at another place where you can believe, but it's not sufficient for salvation. In Matthew uh, 22 and verse 37. Oh, oh, I got the wrong one. Let me see here. I'm sorry. I want Luke. 16. I apologize about that. We'll be back to Matthew if you want to put uh, a mark there, but we're looking at Luke 16. Can you believe too late? Sixteen and twenty-two. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Beggar and the rich man. All right. He believed here, and you're going to see where he, he looks over into Abraham's bosom, and he, he believes. Being in torment and seeing Abraham afar off, and, and, he, and, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy upon me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented. And of course we've heard preached, I think he would have liked some natural water, but I think he really wanted some spiritual water here. He believed hell is full of people that believe. But it's too late. 
And the scripture goes on here. I think it's uh, verse 26. It says, there's a gulf fixed. Once you die, it's too late for that belief to do you any good. Everybody in hell believes, but it's too late. So you can believe too early before the commandment comes. You can believe too late. Well, you say, well, that's the only, you know, way that you can believe and as long as you're still alive there's hope right well I've got two examples and they're not scriptural examples but I've got two examples that I've heard preachers tell about for people that are still alive and here and one of them Jack Burns uh, knew a man that said that he had gone beyond the point and God wasn't speaking to him anymore he would come to church but he didn't have an opportunity anymore and he wanted an opportunity but there wasn't one being offered I heard Luke Kidwell recently preach and told a similar experience had been at a church and a man came forward and prayed and and Luke talked to him and he said I, I, I would I'm just so longing for God to extend another opportunity to me but I think I'm past the point where that's gonna happen I told God no and I went and did my own thing and now there's there's nothing being offered I don't know if any either of those men ever got another chance, but the Bible tells us that there is a there's a place, and beyond that, God doesn't offer that anymore, and it's too late. So too early, and too late. Now, what about these folks here? Back to our lesson. These folks are here. They're listening to Jesus teach in the temple, and says they believe but then he tells them if you continue in my word then you shall be my disciples indeed what do you think's going on any thoughts that verse in Matthew that that I went to by mistake here a minute ago if you read and let's let's just go back over there that's uh so good and I want to get it just right Matthew 22 and 37 thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind that is the first and great commandment it's complete belief alright very similar to what we were talking about where Elizabeth believed, but it was all right here. All right? So I think these folks that are in the temple here, I think they were looking at these, I think they, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring this woman in, and Christ, you know, talks to them, and they all, they all stormed in there, and then they pretty kind of meekly walk back out. And they see these other miracles that he's doing, and I think a lot of these folks were like, well, there's got to be something here. This is pretty amazing. But they didn't really believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah, from their heart. They, they believed maybe in their mind or they believed that he was a teacher or that he was, you know, somebody important. But they didn't really believe that he was their one true chance at salvation. And so... He tells them, if ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. So, now keep in mind that 
there was not a New Testament written down. Now, there were some, for those that could get access to them, there were some scrolls of the Old Testament. So I don't think he was talking about reading the Bible, per se, here. I think what he was saying was, if you continue, and this word continue that's used here in John really means if you get to know, if you become very intimate, if you really make a commitment to my word and what I'm saying, if this is Jesus' word, then ye shall be my disciples indeed. Let's read verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now over in John 14 and 6, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what he's telling them is, if you really get to know me, if you really believe what I'm saying, not just from here, but from here, then you shall be my disciples. So I think today that there are a whole lot of people, and I think all through time there have been a lot of people that have gone to church and have sat in pews and have listened. And I think there's, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that come right here to this church, great church, and they believe from right here, but they never believe from right here. And this is really where that you need to have the belief from. And so if you believe from right here, it's insufficient belief. All right? So um, we have to be careful when people say, I believe and I'm a Christian, and I hope that everybody that says that is but has to be from here, all right? Any questions about that before we move on with our, in our lesson? articles of faith talk about superficial yeah. belief and again you know that's from here over in Romans in the 10th chapter and, and some of just some beautiful writing but Paul writes there about uh, belief unto righteousness belief unto salvation and so uh, you have to have belief and it has to be everything you go back to that greatest commandment um, let me read it again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You know, from the heart is where our decisions are made. With all thy soul, that's our inner being, and with all thy mind. So, I mean, it has to be everything altogether, not just the mind. There are a lot of people that I think believe in God with their mind, but it, it never happens here. And it has to be everything altogether. And that's when that wonderful salvation experience takes place.
still wanted to hold on to something and make it more important, whether it's money or a relationship um, or popularity or you know something. People hold on to all kinds of things. So most people get down to where it's just one thing. I mean, most people do. They get down to where if they're holding on to something, it's usually just one thing. But there's one thing they won't give up. That's more important than God. So they haven't done this greatest commandment that Matthew wrote here in, in 22. Right. So, and they shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, this scripture misquoted a lot. How many times have you heard people say, shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free? So if something is set free, if I'm, if I'm in a cage and I'm set free, then I could be caught and put back in the cage, right? Pretty interesting difference here. If I have some gold and I make something out of that gold, then it is always gold. It, it can't be changed and made tin or silver or something else. It's made from that. If you're made free, then you're always free. You can't be recaptured and made into silver or tin or aluminum foil. You're free. God makes us free when we have that salvation experience. Verse 33, they answered him. Now we're seeing it. They're going to puff out their chest here. We are, we're Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. We're not in bondage. What in the world are you talking about? We're Abraham's seed. Don't you know who you're talking about? How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? We don't need to be made free. So, going back to Romans 7 and 9, Paul wrote this. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. There's something that happens there when the gospel reaches you and gets you that's in every self-help plan, and nothing wrong with those plans, by the way. They don't bring you to salvation, but they can help you take care of other problems in your life. But we've all heard of 12-step uh, programs. If somebody has a substance problem, you know what the first thing that you got to do in that 12-step plan is? You've got to acknowledge that you have a problem. Because until you acknowledge that you have a problem, there's no incentive for you to make any change in your behavior. So that's in all the 12-step or however many step plans there are, anything that's ever going to lead somebody or encourage somebody or help somebody to do something different in their life naturally, you've got to acknowledge you've got a problem. Well, it's the same thing with salvation. Until you realize and acknowledge that you're lost, that you're separated from God, that you're a captive to sin according to the language that, that he's using here, 
that you're in bondage, there's no reason for you to ever try to make any change. Right? So he's got them right where he wants them here because now they're going, well, hold on here a minute. We're not in bondage. We're, we're Abraham's seed. So now he can talk to them. Now he's got them down to where he can really talk to them and tell them something. Jesus answered them, barely, barely, truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. He doesn't say it here, but we know later. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. If you ever talk to somebody that says, well, I don't really know if I need God. I think I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right. I think I'll get to heaven. Have you ever told a lie? Everybody's told a lie. Every single person in this room has told a lie at some point. Have you ever told even just one little lie? Have you ever taken anything, even when you were a kid? Did you take something that didn't belong to you? And you can, just two or three simple things. So what are those things? Well, those are sins. So you've sinned. Well, yeah, I've sinned. Well, if you've sinned, there's only one way to get back to God. That's through the blood of Jesus. And so that's what he's telling them here. Every person that has sinned is a servant of sin. We're in bondage to it when we're lost. Verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. I'll just leave this question here with you. Why doesn't he say for? there when he's talking about uh, the son. The son abideth ever. The servant is in the house. The servant is not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make ye free, ye shall be free indeed. So he's saying, if you're set, if you're a servant and you're made free, then you're free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed. But ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Now these are folks that are sitting there in the temple listening to him, and I think that they must have been sitting there going, why is he saying we're seeking to kill him? The scribes and Pharisees just came in here looking to try to set a trap for him. We're in here listening to him teach, trying to figure out what he's got to say. But he, he's, we all were guilty of his execution. Verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. So he makes it very clear. You're either born again and believe in Christ, or you're not. There's no middle ground. It's either salvation or it's not salvation. You're either going to heaven when this life is over, going to hell when this life is over. And that's what he's trying to get across to him here. And some believe and some don't, just like we have today. What uh, comments or questions do you have, if any? I appreciate your attention. Uh, I hope that something that I said uh, was helpful to you today. I know Brother Carl has been sick, so hopefully uh, he'll be feeling better and be back next week.
So thank you for attention and uh, your liberty to go. Faith is a verb as used in the Bible, uh, and a lot of people want to make it a noun, but it, it's a verb. It's an action word. So you have to put that faith, exactly what you're saying, you have to put that faith into action, and that action is the belief with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we're saved unto a good work, so the work that we've got to do is just believe and then once we believe, then we've got, like you said, we've got plenty of work that we can do and that we should be doing uh, trying to lead somebody else to him. Great point. Anybody else have anything? Appreciate all the comments. You're free to go. <laughs>